Grab your copy of God's Word and let's jump into Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to continue in our series called Jesus and, and this morning we're going to talk about Jesus and hopelessness. One of the things that we've been hearing a lot uh, in these days that we are in is on the subject of hope. It seems like almost every news broadcast where there's an update from some of our uh, public officials that there's always a message of hope and always a a way for them to kind of point us toward uh, some hope in the time of crisis we're in. Uh, you hear this a lot. They'll say things like, we're, we're hopeful that the uh, extreme social distancing can flatten the curve. We'll see fewer and fewer people at one time uh, in, in, in experience the coronavirus. There'll be uh, others that'll say, well, we're hopeful that if we can get the relief bill passed, that it'll jumpstart the economy. And, and now all of a sudden we can kind of see our, our nation kind of get back uh, to normal in regards to the economics. There'll be others that will say uh, things like this, that maybe if we can combine uh, certain medications together, that we're hopeful that through this, that, that we'll be able to see people recover uh, in a more uh, quick way. To say, man, we're hopeful that in just a few months life can get back to normal. And it just seems like this word hope is dominating the narrative in our culture today. And here, here's my response to that. The, the first is this I would say that um, I think they're nailing it. I think they're nailing it in regards to this being the narrative because the reality is hope is what we need. But my, my second response to that would be is they're missing it completely. They're missing it completely in regards to where that hope is found and the type of hope that we need. Because the, the reality is all of this talk about hope is really more wishful thinking. It's fingers crossed, the statistics in are in our favor type of hope. But we need something greater than that. We need something that we can rest our life uh, on and rest our life uh, in. And, and the truth is this. The truth is when we think about the hopefulness that we're hearing as the narrative right now, the question that I ask is, is what then? I mean, if all of these things that we're hopeful for doesn't happen. What if we don't find a cure? What if the economy doesn't come back? What happens if, I mean, we don't fly, all hope is gone? Or maybe we respond like this, well, what then? What if we get those things? What if all of those things that we are saying we are hopeful for uh, takes place? Uh, what, what's going to happen when the next crisis comes or when the next economic downturn comes or when I get the next diagnosis or, diagnosis or, the, or the next pandemic? What are we going to do then? Is hope then gone once again and then we can kind of look for another means to find hope? Here's what I'm hoping we see this morning. What I want you to know this morning is that there is a hope that we need And that hope is found in Jesus. You see, I believe that hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. Because what we need more than anything is we need a hope that transcends the circumstances of life. We need a hope that that, that transcends the diagnosis, that transcends the pandemic, that transcends the uh, economic downturn. We need a hope that will will stabilize us, that when all uh, in our world goes wrong, we know that we are anchored in a hope that transcends all of this. And here's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to jump into Isaiah chapter 6, and I want you to to see this morning that Jesus wants to bring hope in the middle of your hopelessness. Isaiah chapter 6 is a powerful uh, passage. We're going to be 
verses 1 through 8, but I'm going to warn you just from beginning this morning, we're not going to get very far. We're going to get about 11 words into this thing, and then we got to stop because it's packed full of things that we need to see that we can understand and relate to in the season that we are in. Look what he says, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, there is an enormous amount of insight into the backdrop of what's happening in this passage of Scripture, and it is important that we understand this. Eleven words, and they are, they are powerful words. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. Now, here is the, the backdrop. Uzziah is the king of Israel, and he has been king for 50 years. This is a, a king that's strong. He's a king that has well, he has really cared for the people. There's been 50 years of economic stability, 50 years of peace. I mean, this is a man who, who really led the people of God well. And think about this. For 50 years, it's possible that Isaiah has really never known a king over Israel other than King Uzziah. And something happens here in this statement. In the year that King Uzziah died, everything changes. I mean, think about this, 50 years of peace, 50 years of economic stability, 50 years of a king leading his people well, then all of a sudden, everything changes in, in this moment. And this is a moment of crisis. Now, all of a sudden, Isaiah doesn't know what's going to happen with the future. There is a, a moment of instability, and here's why. Uh, because in the midst of all of this, with this stability of the king, we know that this is around the, the mid-700s B.C., Assyria is on the rise and Assyria is the sworn enemy of God's people, and they are becoming mightier and mightier. But because of the strength of Uzziah, he has kept them at bay. They're remaining at peace. Everything is well in the nation. Then all of a sudden, you have this strong leader. He is gone. He is dead. Now he is unstable. And now the Assyrians are approaching. And in this moment, there is chaos and uncertainty. Uzziah's son, who's going to be taking the throne, he's not a strong leader. And so here Isaiah is in the temple. And he is wondering, is there hope for Israel? Well, you find in this moment that everything that was hopeful has now been transformed to hopeless. And Isaiah... Maybe in a moment of desperation, he's going to the temple of the Lord to pray. As maybe many of you have done in these days of uncertainty, you've kind of just turned your face to the Lord in prayer, asking God to move in a powerful way. And maybe this is what Isaiah is doing here. He goes to the temple, something happens, he sees the Lord. Now, I think it's important before we jump into the vision that Isaiah gets is to understand how this story relates to you and me. You see, all is well in Isaiah's life. Everything is great. It seems like all was good and right in the world. And then in the moment, everything changed. Without any kind of warning, Uzziah is dead. And now hope becomes hopelessness. And here is the reality for every single one of us today. Is that we are all just one phone call away. We are one doctor's visit away. We are one I don't love you anymore away. We are one your services are no longer needed at this place of employment away. Our being turned upside down. 
And the question is, is that when that day comes, what is going to happen to us? Because when the crisis hits our life, we are going to either be stabilized because we are resting in a hope that transcends the circumstances in the crisis, or our life is going to be unstable because the hope we have been uh, trusting in is not able to sustain us in the day of trouble. And the reality is, this is where we find ourselves today. I mean, how many of us would have ever on January 1, 2020, when we're thinking about the new year and the new day and the clean slate and all the plans and dreams and hopes that we would have for this year, how many of us would ever have thought that this is where we would be? I mean, we are in a, in a home shelter uh, order here in Longview and all over East Texas and many cities across the nation. People can't even go to the grocery store without this maybe getting sick, and now we're struggling with the worry of economics. I mean, none of us, when we were going into 2020, would have ever envisioned we would be here, but we are here. Many of you, it's not this crisis, it's the marriage crisis, it's the death of the loved one, it's the diagnosis from the doctor, it's the a child who has strayed away. There is a crisis in your life, and for many of you, you are experiencing a time in your life of hopelessness. And see, here's what I want us to understand this morning. The problem with Isaiah is the same problem in our lives far too often. You see, the issue and the reason there is such hopelessness in Isaiah's life and in the nation of Israel is because over a period of time, over a season of their life, they begin to drift away from trusting in the Lord of, of Jesus being the hope of their life to all of a sudden eyes to a king, an earthly king, and then all of a sudden the one that they had placed their hope in is gone and now they are left hopeless because the reality is this. Don't miss this. Hopelessness is not rooted in your circumstances. Hopelessness is rooted in misplaced hope. You see, hopelessness happens when we put our hope in something that cannot sustain us. In the day of trouble, all of a sudden the rug gets pulled because the thing we were hoping in and hopeful for could not deliver the way that we thought it would. And then it leaves our life in utter chaos. And this is where the nation of Israel is. And listen, this is where you and I will find ourselves if our hope is on any other thing than Jesus himself. And this is where the nation of Israel is. You see, it comes down to misplaced hope. I don't know if you've ever lost place something, um, the urgency that you try to find that thing will be in proportion with the value that that thing adds to your life. I'll explain it like this. My, my cell phone has become kind of an anchor for me, especially in these days when everybody's kind of separated and uh, locked in their homes and disconnected. And so, man, this has kind of been my lifeline of communication is my phone. And the other day I was uh, kind of going through the kind of chaotic day and I, I, was, uh, I was leaving one meeting, going to another, had to get that done, couldn't be late because I was heading to another. If you've ever had days like this, you know that you can kind of lose your mind. And so uh, I was frantically looking for my phone. I'd misplaced it. So I, I looked all over my office, couldn't find it, ran to the truck, opened the truck doors, looked around, couldn't find it, under the seat, couldn't find it, went through my bag, couldn't find it, went back into my office, and I couldn't find it, and I'm like, where in the world is my phone? And in the entire time, my phone was in my hand. 
I don't know if you ever had one of those days. I told somebody that that, that, that that day felt like a year in and of itself. But here is the reality. When I misplaced my phone, I was desperate to find it. Listen, when you misplace your hope, listen, when you are in those seasons of crisis, man, it creates a desperation in us. A desperation of, man, I don't know what is going to happen. I've got to find some sort of hope. And this is where Isaiah finds himself. And I want you to see what happens in Isaiah's life in this season of hope. Look what happens in verse number one again. I'm going to read one through four. Look what he says here. In the year that King Uzziah died, watch this, I saw the Lord. Now listen to this, seating, uh, sitting on a, on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and the one called the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And listen to this. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. Now what is happening in this moment is that in this moment of crisis, Jesus invades the space of Isaiah. And this is important that we get this. Uh, Isaiah is desperate. He goes to the temple, and here he is. He's seeking the Lord, and all of a sudden, the veil is pulled back. And Isaiah gets a glimpse of King Jesus that radically transforms him forever. Now, think about what he is facing here. The, The king is dead. The economics of the uh, of the community is in decline spiritually downturn and in regards to just the armies of, of, of the enemies of Israel coming toward them and they are in fear. In the midst of all of this, God pulls back the veil for Isaiah and he gets an opportunity to see beyond the crisis of the day, to see into the throne room of God and there he sees King Jesus and gets a glimpse of the unbelievable power that Jesus possesses. Now I want you to see what Isaiah sees. Let me give you a couple of things to write down. A couple of points about the the vision that Isaiah has in this moment. The first thing is this. Write this down. Isaiah sees the majesty of King Jesus. He sees the majesty of King Jesus. He says, I saw him high and lifted up on a throne. The train of his robe filling the temple. The idea of majesty is the idea of loftiness or superiority. The reason he talks about him being exalted is that this throne is an elevated throne. It's a majestic throne. The robe of the temple filling, uh, the, 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 the gown of his robe uh, was, was filling the temple. This train was, was filling up not just the earthly temple, but the heavenly temple. You say, why is that significant? Because in ancient days, the train of the robe of the king would be in proportion with the majesty that the king possessed. It's kind of like this. If you've ever gone to a wedding and uh, there's no question in who the, the bride is as she enters into the room. Why? Because she is going to have a gown on that is distinct from everyone else. 
And there is going to be a train on that gown that says, listen, this is the bride. Now, if you want to see a fight at a wedding, you let someone who's not the bride wear the gown that the bride is supposed to wear to the wedding. Now you're going to have a massive fight at a wedding. Why? Because there's something about the bride that just say, should say to everyone, she is elevated. She is superior to everyone else in the room. It's a picture of majesty. And this is what Isaiah is painting for us here. Not only do we see the majesty of King Jesus, we see the holiness of King Jesus. Look what he says here. This is above him stood these seraphims, these angelic beings, and they were surrounding the throne room of King Jesus. Now don't miss this. These angelic beings, they had six wings. With two, they're covering their face. With two, they're covering their feet. With two, they're flying. And it says that they're declaring the throne of Jesus. Listen to what they say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. So they're declaring to one another, you have holy, holy, holy. What are they, are, they, are, what are they are emphasizing in this moment is the absolute holiness of Jesus. They are emphasizing the holiness of Jesus. Say, what is holiness? Holiness is the set-apartness of Jesus, if I could use this word. It's altogether differentness of King Jesus. What they're, they're displaying here in this declaration of holy, holy, holy is that there is none other like King Jesus. The, I love the book of Micah. The, the name Micah is the name that we gave our uh, youngest, our daughter. Uh, the name uh, Micah in Hebrew means who is like Yahweh. Who is like the Lord? And, and this is the answer that these angels that are flying around the throne of Jesus are saying, there is no one like Yahweh. There is no one like the Lord, that he is holy. He is set apart, and there is none other like him. So we see the majesty of King Jesus. We see the holiness of King Jesus. And finally, we see the glory of King Jesus. They were declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then there's this declaration, the whole earth is full of his glory. The idea of glory here is the renown or the greatness. In other words, these angelic beings are declaring not only is Jesus set apart and there's none other like him, but the entire cosmos, the entire universe is filled with the renown and the greatness of Jesus. What is the point of all of this? Isaiah is getting a glimpse of the absolute sovereignty of King Jesus in this moment on a throne. He is high and lifted up. He is majestic. He is holy. He is the glorious one and there is none other like him. And this is massive here. He says he is seated on his throne. Why? Because the one who is seated on the throne is the one who possesses all power and all authority and all might. I love this. He's seated on his throne. Why is that significant? Because King Jesus, in the midst of the chaos that was happening around Isaiah, he was not pacing the throne room of heaven. He was confidently seated in the place of authority and power and of complete control over all things. And listen, this gives us hope. You see what Isaiah sees in this moment, that yes, King Uzziah is in the grave, but King Jesus is on the throne. You see, what, what's amazing here is this. This is a moment of clarity. No, don't miss this. Listen to this. In comparison to the greatness of King Jesus, everything that seemed so big and insurmountable to Isaiah now seems small 
and insignificant. And in the light of the greatness of King Jesus, everything in Isaiah's life that seemed so big and so insurmountable, now in comparison to King Jesus, now seems so small and insignificant. You see, there is clarity here. And here's where I think we mess up. Here is where I think we go wrong. I think, think oftentimes we live our life through the lens of a microscope. Now, he, he, follow me here just for a moment. You see, there's a difference between a microscope, I got, I got one here, and a telescope. You see, a microscope uh, is designed with a very strategic purpose. A microscope takes something that is tiny, and when viewed through the microscope, it makes that thing appear to be larger than what it really is. And so someone will come and they'll take a little uh, a plate here and they'll put a tiny uh, microscopic object on here and they slide it in here and they'll begin to look. And that thing that could not even be seen with the human eye now all of a sudden becomes massive and large. And they begin to look at it and begin to see, man, that th th this is massive. And now, what was small now appears to be extremely oversized and large. And this is where I think Isaiah misses it, and this is where I think the nation of Israel missed it. Is that for so long, they're, they're looking through life through the microscope. They're missing all of the big things that God is doing. They're missing the fact that Jesus is on his throne. And they don't quite understand the nearness of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the authority of Jesus. No, 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 no. They're down here and they're taking a king who is relatively tiny in comparison to the king of kings. And they're making more of him than they should. And so their entire life is, man, we got this great king. And Uzziah, man, look at this. He is unbelievable. And he's bringing economic stability. And man, he is uh, keeping, look, the Syrians, they can't even get in because our king is in control and everything is good. And they're looking through the lens of the microscope. And they are making much more out of Uzziah and the stability than they should. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this, this thing this thing that they're looking to find a hope and all of a sudden the plate gets changed and you see another plate slide in and all of a sudden oh no King Uzziah is dead and now the unknown of the death of Uzziah becomes the panic of their life because that which they were hoping in is now gone but they're still looking through the microscope and they're going oh no what are we going to do we're in trouble because the crisis is the Assyrians are coming. The economics has collapsed. We don't know what we're going to do. And they continue to look at the problem and the crisis. And here is the issue. They're not able to see clearly because they're making something that is small in comparison to who Jesus is much bigger than what it should be. And because of this, they lose hope. And this is where many of us are. You see what happens? I love this. Here's what happens. Man, they are looking into the microscope of Uzziah is dead. We're in a crisis. We don't know what is going to happen. And all of a sudden, something happens. Uh, Jesus shows up and he exchanges the microscope for a telescope. Now, this is the difference between a microscope. 
microscope and a telescope. You see, a microscope is designed to take something that is small and make it appear to be bigger than what it is, but a telescope is designed to take something that is distant that is far out there, that looks small, and it brings it near so that we can see it as large as it really is. And this is what happens, and this is where we see Isaiah moving from hopelessness to hope because he gets a change of perspective. All of a sudden, the veil is pulled away, and Isaiah is able then to see seated on his throne, high and lifted up, exalted, reigning above the universe, and he's able then to get a glimpse of just how sovereign Jesus is over the situation. You see, he moves from something that is small, but it's magnified and appears to be bigger than what it is, and he turns and sees something that seems to be small, and he's able to see it for how big it really is. And this is a moment of clarity and transformation for Isaiah. And listen, this is where hopelessness meets hopelessness. You see, for some of us in, 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 in this season of life, we are so, we are so concerned about the future. There, there is so much uncertainty about tomorrow. There is Maybe things that just beyond the pandemic that you're facing in your family and moments of crisis, if we're not careful, what we'll do is, is many of us, we spend our life right here and we're looking into the microscope and we're going, man, if we can just get the economic situation worked out, I can see it, man. All things will be good. If we can just get in here and we can see the, the, um, our kids, man, if they can just come back to, 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 to us and, man, all things will if we can just get our marriage and get it restored, then all things will be well. And we're looking through the microscope and we're looking towards something that we think will bring hope. And what we're doing is we're taking something that's relatively small and we're going, if we could just have that, then we would have hope. Only to find that the marriage fails and, and now all of a sudden there's this new lens uh, that comes in called uh, now I've got to walk through divorce. And, and now, okay, that's, that's not it. Maybe, maybe we got the relationship we want. And, man, all is good. Marriage is restored. Everything is great. And, oh, oh no, oh, no, we just went to the doctor. And now here, what do we have? We have a bad diagnosis. Oh, my goodness, hope is gone. Now we just need a cure. And what we do is we move from one crisis to the next trying to find hope. And moving the circumstances to a better place, and the reality is we're just going to continue to slide the plates our entire life, never knowing what it means to be anchored in a hope that transcends the circumstances. What we need is we need to trade our microscope for a telescope. And we need to get to a place where we can understand that, man, Jesus reigns above it all, that we can see a glimpse of him and to see the glory and the majesty that he possesses, and we can see him 
ruling and reign that while all in my world seems to be falling apart, Jesus is on his throne and he is lifted up and he is exalted. And this is where we begin to see the transition that I can move from hopelessness to hope when I trade my microscope in for a telescope and recognize that Jesus isn't as far away as I thought he was and he's not as small as I made him out to be. In fact, compared to the crisis, compared to the problem, man, he is where my hope is found because there is none other like him. And what we find is, is that, listen, the crisis can come and go, but I can be anchored in a hope that is not shaken. Why? Because Jesus sits on a throne and he cannot be shaken. This is where hope intersects our life. We're living in a day where everybody is looking for hope somewhere. And the reality is, is that hope is not found somewhere. It's found in someone. And his name is King Jesus. And here's what happens when we understand the sovereignty of King Jesus. Listen to this. You see, the truth is, is that when we understand the greatness of King Jesus and the glory of King Jesus, two things are going to happen. Number one, all the problems of life are going to seem smaller in compared, when compared to the backdrop of the greatness of Jesus. So our problems will seem smaller and the crisis will seem smaller and the circumstances will not be so overwhelming when we see that Jesus is reigning above it all. But, but also, we will see ourselves as much smaller. You see, when we get a clear glimpse of who Jesus is, not only do we get a clear glimpse of the circumstances around us, but we get a, a truly a, a clear glimpse of in light of who Jesus is. This is what happens to Isaiah. Look what it says here in verse number five. This is now Isaiah's response. So he sees these angelic beings. He sees the king high and lifted up. And here is Isaiah's response. And I said, verse five, woe is me. Now this would have been your response as well. He says, woe is me for I am lost. In other words, I am a dead man. I, 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 there's no way I'm surviving this. He says, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, in this moment of clarity, when Isaiah steps away from the microscope and he steps into the telescope, he sees Jesus for who he is and then Isaiah is able then to see himself for who he is not. And see, this is where our life begins to transform. When you see Jesus for who he is, you see yourself for who you are not. And it's in that place where you become what he wants you to be. And this is what happens. Isaiah recognizes his sinfulness. He recognizes his depravity. I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't belong in the presence of Jesus. Listen, the reality is this. The greater view of Jesus you get, a, the greater the understanding of your sinfulness you will also get. You see, the, the greater that you see Jesus high and lifted up, the more clearly you see him exalted, the more clearly you're going to see your own brokenness and depravity. And this is what happens in Isaiah. But don't miss this. is because what you're going to see in a moment is the glory and grace are going to intersect 
And when they do, this is where we find hope. You see, you say, where is hope located? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you a street address for hope. Hope is at the intersection of glory and grace. That's where you get hope. You see, a couple of nights ago, we, we uh, did something we've never done before. Um, my wife decided, we, we kind of transitioned a few uh, years ago from going to Walmart and shopping for our groceries. And maybe you, you've done this. We, we shopped for our groceries. That was kind of the old school way. And then you started ordering them online and you would go to the pickup uh, spot and they will come load the groceries into your car for you. And so we kind of transitioned to that. But now they got this new thing that because obviously buying your groceries was too much work and we shouldn't have to go do that. We need somebody to bring them to our cars. But now we don't even want to go to the parking spot. Now they'll actually bring the groceries to your house. I don't know if you knew that or not. I discovered that this week. And so what did we do? We ordered our, our groceries online and we were going to have those groceries delivered to us. And about four hours after uh, the gentleman was supposed to show up, man, our phone is ringing. He can't find uh, where we are. And so here we are. We got like $60 worth of groceries just driving around East Texas somewhere. I'm on the phone with a guy trying to explain to them where I live. He didn't even know where he was. And Kevin, if you're watching, I hope you enjoyed the groceries because that was our donation to you for the four hours of driving around East Texas trying to find us. And so what I was doing in that moment, I was just saying, Kevin, hey, tell me what street you're on. And he would just simply say, I'm in Longview. And then I had to say, Longview's not a street, that's a city. I need to know the street you're on because then I could give him a path to my house because I was going to show him, hey, if you'll go to this intersection and this intersection, you'll find what you're looking for. $60 of groceries later, Kevin being well-fed, we never got our groceries. And I'm not bitter whatsoever over it at all. But here's the reality. If you're looking for grace today, I want you to know you'll find the glory of Jesus and the grace of Jesus. And when you get the glory of Jesus and the grace of Jesus, hope, hope will invade your life and you will never be the same again. And this is what you find right here in this passage. He says in verse number five, woe is me. I am ruined. I am lost. I'm a dead man because I'm a man of unclean lips. Look at verse six, how Jesus responds. He says, then one of the seraphim flew over to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin you see, what happens in this moment is Jesus extends grace to Isaiah. He meets him at the place of the greatest need. What has Isaiah said? I am a man of unclean lips. And so what does Jesus do? He sends the angels to take the coal from the altar and go touch the lips of Isaiah. Why? He is touching Isaiah at the point of his greatest need. He is meeting him in his shame and his failure and his guilt in order to atone the sins so that he might be in right relationship with King Jesus. You see, when you step into the presence and you understand the glory of Jesus, you will also understand that there's a huge gap between us and him because we are sinful and he is holy. But when we step into that place and understanding the gap, what we find in the middle of the glory is the grace of Jesus needed for the gap to be closed and the relationship to be established. And this is where hope invades our life. The question you may ask is this, is how in the world can a coal from an altar atone for the sin 
of Isaiah. And here's the answer. You ready for it? But coal in and of itself does not atone the sin. But the coal rather represents a grace that would one day come. It was a temporary provision and a foreshadowing of a greater atonement that would be made. And this is where this story comes alive. You see, the king on the throne, I believe what Isaiah is experiencing in this moment is what we would call a pre-incarnate appearance of King Jesus. That he is seeing King Jesus before he comes and puts on flesh, before he walks among us. He is seeing the exalted King Jesus pre-incarnate on the throne. And here is what we know because of the story of what Scripture tells us is that we know that this king that Isaiah sees seated on the throne will one day stand up from his throne. And he will take the robe of majesty and he will, un- uh, he will remove it and he will put on the flesh of humanity and he will descend and he will live among us. He will live like us and he will go to a cross and die for us so that our sins might be covered, not with a coal that leaves the altar and touches our lives, but rather because King Jesus climbed on and gave his life for you and me. You see, it's not the coal that touches our lips that brings about atonement. It's the blood that covers our sin that brings atonement. Jesus would take off the robe. He would put on the flesh. He would live. He would die. He would be put in a tomb. And three days later, the glorious news of the gospel is that this king would resurrect once again. And Paul would say it like this. And because of this, he has been given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is the one. Now, don't miss this. This is where we understand why find hope. Listen to me. The Savior on the cross is also the King on the throne. The one that died for you is also the one who's reigning over you. That the one we see being humiliated, spit upon, beaten, whipped, and put to death is also the same king that right now sits at the right hand of the Father where the angels of heaven are declaring holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So if the one who reigns above it all loves you enough to die for you and to resurrect and he is in control of all things, you need to know that if he died for you, you can trust in him and you can put all your chips on the table with King Jesus knowing that when all fails and the crisis of life come and the divorce happens and the diagnosis hits our life and the kids stray away and the job is gone and the economics collapse in the middle of all that here's what you need to know Jesus is still on his throne he is still high and lifted up and he loves you and he's proven that in giving his life for you so in the middle of the storm even in the midst of the unknown circumstances you can trust the one who is both glorious and gracious this is where hope is for our life. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, how do we know God is for us? He's going to tell us. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? How do we know God is for us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now listen to this. Listen to what Paul says. In light of this, we know, will he not also with him, with who? With Christ, graciously give us all things. 
You see, hope is found at the intersection of glory and grace. And because we have a king who reigns above it all, and because we have a savior who died and resurrected, we have a place that we can rest our hope that cannot be shaken and that can be trusted no matter what. You see, 11 words tell the story of this passage. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Maybe for you, the story of your life is going to be in the year the coronavirus happened. I saw the Lord. In the year the divorce occurred, I saw the Lord. In the year the diagnosis came, I saw the Lord. In the year that, that I lost my job, I saw the Lord. Maybe it's the crisis in the year of that Jesus is saying, hey, I want to I get you out of the microscope and I want to I place you in front of the telescope so you can see a glimpse of who I am. And maybe today, this is where Jesus wants to meet you. For some of you watching today, you understand hopelessness. And you know that you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior. I want you to know today that Jesus loves you. And he is ruling and reigning over any circumstance that you are facing right now in your life. And he loves you and he died for you. And today, maybe God has brought you to the glory and grace where you might have hope that is eternal. And right now, where you are, if you are feeling this stirring in your heart, that that's me, I'm going to ask you just bow your heads. And I just want you to pray a simple prayer. This prayer is not a magic formula. It's just me helping you articulate what's happening in your heart. But if you are uncertain of your relationship with Jesus, if you are uncertain about your eternity, if you are uncertain if you have eternal hope, then right now, just say, dear Jesus, I am a sinner. And I know that you are the risen king who died for me. And I'm asking you to save me and make me new. You have brought me to the intersection of glory and grace. And I want to receive the hope that is found in you. Thank you for entering into my life. In Jesus' name. Listen, if you you prayed that prayer I want to encourage you to do something right now. Like right now, take your phone. And I want you to text the letters NBBC to the number 313131. NBBC to the number 313131. Share with us this news that you today pray to receive Jesus Christ. You can also post this in the comment section. 
We would love to celebrate this with you and send you some more information about what it means to walk with Jesus and just pray with you over the phone. Listen, maybe you're here today and you know Jesus. In the midst of this, I have lost hope because maybe you transferred your hope to something other than King Jesus. And I want to encourage you today. If you know him, get out of the microscope and step into the telescope. Get into the word of God. Spend time in prayer. Call some brothers and sisters in Christ and just say, I just need to be reminded of that Jesus is at work and just share that burden with them so that they can help point you to the one who can sustain you, the one who can give you hope. That is my prayer for you watching today. Listen, I want to pray over you. And I just, before I do, want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that today you have been encouraged And our prayer is, is that you are leaving today with hope that is found in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I thank you for every single person watching today. I pray for the one who received that they would share that news with us and those around them. And Father, I pray for the that you would allow your spirit to help them see you for who you are, be reminded of who they have trusted in and know that he is able to sustain them no matter the circumstances that they face. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.